Welcome to the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm Daniel Burkholder, the host and a dancer based in Milwaukee. This is the fifth and final episode of our first season. I hope you've enjoyed these interviews as much as I have. And, and if this is the first time listening, I hope you go back and listen to the previous episodes. In this episode, I am talking with Alvin Hill, a multimedia artist and DJ. This is a really interesting conversation where we look at club DJing through the improvisational lens, as well as discuss his media performance ensemble in which uh, they improvise with sound, lights, video, projection, all at the same time. It's really cool stuff. Before we jump right in, here's a little bit about Alvin. Alvin Hill is a technology-based artist whose work takes the form of performances and installations and often combines sound, still image, video, projection, light, physical computing, and DJ arts. As always, you can check out the description of this podcast for information on how to find more about Alvin, myself, and the podcast. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Alvin. Enjoy. Hi, Alvin. Thank you so hey, Daniel. much. Hey, how, thank you so much for um, talking with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of just jump right in. And, um, you know, one of the things that I am interested in is your work as a DJ, as as like uh, working at clubs and stuff like that. And um, I, I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit to start with about how that started for you. What got you interested in that? Because it's not like, you know, some young person today, it feels like DJing is something that might be an option for them because there's DJs. But when you got started, it wasn't so common. So could you talk a little bit about how that happened and how that, ha uh, how that evolved as part of your practice? Yes. Um, so probably in junior high, I went to this, this dance at school and all the girls were asking me to dance. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to dance. And I went home after that dance, and I said to myself, I'm going to learn how to dance. <laughs> and so at that point, I watched every dance show I could possibly find on television, from the local dance show that was the, called The Scene to um, you know American Bandstand, Soul Train, anything I could find. And the next time there was a school dance, I busted out all my moves. And it was just from that point forward, I just, I just love to dance to music. Mm. And that led me to going to teen clubs, which led me to sneaking into to 21 and over clubs when I was 16. And so... I say all that to say that I was just a club kid. I just was such a club kid and loved to go out and dance. And it was very soon after that, that after, after starting to, to go to those clubs, that I became very interested in this, these people that were leading us on this mm. dance journey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started watching them. I started trying to find out what I could. I started focusing on this one DJ that was the DJ at one of the teen clubs that I was going to. And I literally just bugged the mess out of him. <laughs> um, 
he tells me stories of what I what it was like at that time. But I, you know, he he, for some reason, he tolerated me. And after a while, he started giving me information. He started. He it, he got to a point where he said, you know, this is the equipment you need to go out and get. Right. And um, these are the types of things I'm doing. And so I went out and got this equipment and I just started doing it. Yeah. At that so, time. So, yeah. so, so I don't mean to call out your age or anything, but so what year, no. what year are we talking about? So this was the early eighties. Yeah. Okay. You know, it was, it was the early eighties and, um, you know, there were, there were no superstar DJs, world traveling DJs at that point. Like, you know, there was no Tiesto, there was no, no Cascade, there was no Oakenfold, there was no Carl Cox, there was no Derek May, Kevin Saunderson. You know, it, there weren't any, the, the idea of being a world traveling DJ was just not in the scope at that time. You know, the, what you aspired to at that time was, you know, holding down a residency in a, a local club. Mm -hmm. Um, and then possibly, you know, from there becoming a billboard DJ, um, which is a a DJ that reported to billboard to create the charts. You aspired to be in a, um, a strong local record pool. And I'll, I'll explain what a record pool is. And then maybe, um, becoming a radio DJ and having a mix show. So that's, that's what you aspired to at that point. Um, going back to what a record pool is, a record pool was, um, sort of a club for DJs where at that time, all the major record labels would send promotional records to, um, these record pools and then they would distribute them to their strong DJs uh, so that they would get plays so in clubs the idea is, and right. then p- other people like as promotional material and stuff right yeah. and that is how you got the hottest n- newest freshest material to play at the time um, and so it was really important to be part of a good record pool because there were lots of record pools but you know, the good ones got the best right. record. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So so then you you got the equipment, you learn kind of the techniques of, of being a DJ, and then you started to get gigs. Is that? Yes. <laughs> Not <laughs> quite that, that simple or that, that fast. Sure, sure, uh, sure, sure. You know, uh, also, I will say at the time, there were... You know, th- there are places you can go now to to learn how to DJ. You know, there are, there are DJ schools locally and nationally and internationally, places you can go. At that time, the only thing you could do is listen and watch. Mm-hmm. And so that just made me go out to clubs more. Right. And, and watch and listen to other DJs. Now, you know, if you want to do that, you can sit in the comfort of your own home and, and go on YouTube and see right. tons of of DJs. Right. I always say that to young DJs, you know, that, that's incredible, the amount of DJs that you're able to watch and, and the, the places that you're able to access, the resources you're able to access to, 
to learn. Um, but so, yeah, after, after I learned, you know, and, and honed my skills, you know, it was where, how do I, how do I get into clubs? And at that time, you know, it's very different than it is now. There were, there were tons of now, you know, it's promoters, it's promoters you want to approach. But at that time it was really club owners directly that you were trying to get to know and trying to uh, influence to to let you play at their clubs, right. and so you know I just every club every every place I went every club I went I had a mix tape, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> mix tape a cassette tape in my pocket well multiple ones in my pocket to hand to club owners, sometimes it was to other DJs, um, but anybody you thought could help get you in that club. Yeah. So when you, I want to kind of jump a little bit and talk about the process of actually, you know, you're playing a club and there's a crowd and, um, do you, how much of what you're going to play is just like preset and how much of it are you deciding in the moment? Like which song, which record to move from one to the next? Um, I'm going to assume that you're talking about me personally. Yes, I am. I mean, and, we could also, you could also refer to maybe what you know of other DJs in general, but I'm mostly interested, of course, yeah, in your process. It really, you know, and I'll say this up front, that it really mm-hmm. ranges from DJ to DJ how much they'll set. Mm-hmm. And I think it also has changed over the years how much people will mm-hmm. set, preset, but... For me personally, my process, especially in the early days, <laughs> I just brought as much music as I possibly could carry. <laughs> uh-huh. And at that time, it was crates and crates of records. Right. I'm not talking about milk crates. I'm talking about those big sort of, uh, you know, I don't know if people have seen them, but they were, I'd say they're about between three and 400 records in a crate. And these things are heavy. Yeah. You know? They're, uh, you know, records are about a half a pound. So, you know, you're carrying 150, 200 pounds worth of records. And I carried a minimum of four of those to gigs. Um, And so, you know, I had a lot of records with me. Yeah. And I would just go at it, you know. Um, Nothing was preset. You know, I... You know, when you, you, I used to practice a lot, you know, uh, I wish I got to practice as much as I used to now, but I used to practice a lot. And so there were definitely mixes that you would call upon. Uh-huh. Like preset but, orders or preset things that you had practiced that. Well, you know, songs that you knew would go well together. Yeah. But the order... And exactly how I mix those songs would be completely dependent upon what was happening in the moment at a particular gig. So, so in that moment when you're making those decisions, <clears throat> which I, which I'm going to assume are fairly intuitive at some point, maybe that's a wrong assumption. But are you, what are you tuning into when you're like at a club? Are you? Is it like an inner sense, like? Are you sensing and feeling kind of the groove that's happening and where it wants to go? 
Um, or are you like really outwardly focused um, watching how the crowd is responding and then trying to kind of respond back from them? It's a, it's a sort of, it's a give and take. It's a real give and take. Um, you know, you never know what you're going to walk into. Yeah. You know, you know, if you, if you have a residency that you've been doing for a while, you have a pretty good idea of what you're walking into. Other times you're going someplace new or if you're, you know, if you're more of a party DJ or if you don't have a residency and you're going from club to club, you never know what you're going to walk into. And so there are times when you are scanning the room, you know, nobody's on the dance floor yet. You're scanning the room. You're watching for those people along the edge who you can tell from their body language, they want to dance. Uh-huh. You know, they may be bobbing their head. You know, there, there may be some movement in their body. And so you're, pay, you're paying attention to that and you're trying to guess, okay, if this song is making them do that, what's the song that's going to pull them out? <laughs> right, right. And you're you're leaning on your knowledge of the music that you have and the music that you know and the music that you brought with you and you're leaning on your your experience thus far and you're trying to pull them onto the floor yeah and then you're you're trying to scan for that next person once you got that floor then you're you're thinking or i usually was thinking okay they're dancing to this how can i keep them here mhm Get them to trust me so I can then take them on my journey. Oh, interesting. And once you have them, uh-huh. once you have them, and there's that, either, and I can't, I can't tell you what, what that feels like because it's, it's really incredible. But once you have them and you have their trust, then you can just go. Oh. And, and you can take more chances. You're, you're there to take them on your journey so it's other nights other nights it can be a lot more difficult Uh and you've you've really got to um in some ways pander more to them and and give them more of what they need um but you know more times than not you're able to get them and take them on that journey so it's the process is really like um introducing them to to what you're going to be doing um what kind of flavors you're going to be offering them um to use a metaphor and then once they're kind of like yeah this 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 guy knows what he's doing it's fun i'm into it i'm having a great time i'm just like tuned into this then you start kind of leaving the well-tread path in a way to say here's something you may not have heard here's something you may not have thought of here's something that has a different kind of um, perspective almost than what we, where we've been going, and and you can take them and get them dancing to stuff they wouldn't normally say choose or even be aware of, or 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 things that that they just have never heard before. Yeah, right. and I you know I, you know coming from it from being a club kid and just being somebody who loved to dance. Yeah. That's what I loved. I loved being turned on to new things that I never had heard before, mm-hmm. but were just so right for 
the mood and the vibe of the evening that, you know, that to me, that's what made a great DJ. It was like, yeah. oh, man what is this? Yeah. You know, but, oh my gosh, you just slid that right in there. <laughs> you know, you know, and it, you know, and you know, when I was going out there, it wasn't as common that DJs mixed, mm. you know, and blended things together. Oh, yeah. So, so it wasn't always that they had the most perfect mix in the world. Right. It was the selection was just on point. Right. You know, it was just, it's just happening. Yeah, that's great. That's really that's really interesting. And I assume there's times where you feel like you got the crowd, and you're going to take a chance, and you take that chance, and you just feel like, like, oh, that was the wrong choice. Yes, <laughs> yes, that does happen, and <laughs> and you also have to sort of lean on your skill to recover from right. that. Yeah. Uh, just last weekend, I was at a. Um, it was at a conference and there was a closing night party and there was a DJ and so it wasn't a club and this guy, the DJ was really young and stuff and um, he wasn't really, he was just playing songs, right? And mm -hmm. um, But there was definitely a moment where he was choosing his songs and he chose a song and like the whole dance floor just cleared instantly. <laughs> it was like, oh, that was, and I don't think he stayed on that song very long. I think he realized that that was not the choice for this crowd and um took him took him a couple songs to, <laughs> to get people back on the floor i think um, yeah that's like, you know that's everyone's like oh it's all... time to go to the bathroom now <laughs> or whatever or go get us something to eat or whatever just like whoom. and people so, you know people need that that time to right. to go to the bathroom get their drink whatever it is but right. You know, you, you want to try not <laughs> to give that opportunity for everyone at the same time. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm yeah. sure promoters or club owners don't appreciate those times either. <laughs> They're like, whoa, what well, just happened? You know, at, at the same time, you know, the the club is trying to they're trying to sell drinks. Yeah, so, that's true. That's the, you know, that's they, really they, the business that they're in, in a way, right? Right. They need people at the bar too, so they're they're not going to complain. But if you're not bringing those people in, you know, that's, yeah. that's an issue. And so if you're not keeping them on the floor and you're not, uh, improvising, yeah. well, yeah, you know, I, I think a good improviser, um, does recover from those, you know, it, you want to take chances. You want to, you want to, you know, I always talk about stretching people's ears. Mm. And so you, at least that, that's a part of the reason I was in it. Yeah, you know, I wanted to stretch people's ears, get yeah. them to listen to things that they hadn't before, yeah. and so I want to do that. And sometimes that means clearing the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, sure. You know, but once you've introduced them to that, sometimes the next time that you play that, you don't clear the floor. Right. But that also that also yeah. you know puts out there the difference between when you're playing a, a one-off and when you've got a residency. Because you can really build on those things when you have a residency. Other times, um, you know, when you're doing a one-off, you got to approach it a little bit differently because you're not going to necessarily have another chance with this crowd. Right. Um, and so that that puts you in a very different head when you're when you're choosing when you're making your choices for improv. Yeah. That makes sense. I want to kind of, uh, I could talk about this a lot more, but I want to kind of get to some other things. Sure. Um, 
maybe you could talk a little bit, because something we didn't mention is that, you know, before you were a DJ, um, and while you were a DJ, you were also, um, you also played the violin and the piano. Yeah. So you kind of started with violin and piano, and your family was a musical family, and mm -hmm. um, then you came into DJing, and then now... The way I understand is like you really are a multimedia artist, right? Not dealing, you're dealing with not only um, sound and music, but also visuals and video and all this kind of stuff. So, how could you talk about that evolution or that development of you from violin, piano to DJing to multimedia artists? Yeah, and you know, it's it's really I love doing things like this and uh, I'll thank you again for for having me sure. um, because it, it it makes me think about those connections um, and it's it's interesting to think about because when you know I was growing up I started playing violin and piano when I was four there used to be a lot of improvisation much more than there is now in classical music hmm. but the way that I studied it growing up it was very rigid you know, it was, there was there was no improvisation, and you know that could have just been um, because I never got, you know, I I I got to the point where you know I was playing recitals, I was I was playing in symphonies, but you know maybe I never got to the point where you know I was never a first chair, um, and and maybe that's the only realm <laughs> that that you get to improvise, um, but you know it was always just playing a part. And so, you know, I also, you know, I, I played some, you know, I played electric guitar and I played electric bass for a while, um, you know, and I, I played in a few bands and, you know, but one, once I found turntables, that was really just it for me. I was really hooked, but I never really thought of that, that at the time that I was making this shift from this very rigid sort of practice to this really, really improvisational art form right. you know I, I think I always you know at the time I didn't know as much about jazz as I do now but you know I think I always saw a connection there that that we're working we're both working both jazz musicians and DJs are working within a structure but there's a great deal of improvisation right. so yeah I made that shift in a, a lot of you know what I do now is directly connected to what I did as a DJ. Um, I think that as I grew as a DJ, you know, I wasn't, wasn't a DJ who started in one type of music and continued to play that music throughout my entire career. Mm. You know, what I played in the beginning was very different than what I settled... There were many changes. Let me let me just say that 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 you know I went from more of a more pop-oriented DJ to uh, to the early days of hip hop to in you know I would say that hip hop was pretty underground in the beginning. You know it wasn't mainstream like it is today. To um, house and early Detroit techno, and then I got really interested in acid jazz. And then moved into more rare groove. And now, you know, I pull from all those genres and more. I always like to tell the story that I, I played at this one electronic music festival in Detroit where, 
in the middle of my set, I dropped this Bach concerto. And yes, it cleared the floor. <laughs> and everybody was looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Uh-huh. And then after a few minutes, I dropped this beat underneath. And the crowd went crazy. And people went running back to the floor. So that's, that's, that's also a situation where you can use that, that sort of pull, push and pull tension <laughs> to really work for you. But getting back to, to the question, so when, when I was DJing, I was always trying to do new things. I was always interested, not only from a musical standpoint and trying to pull different genres together, but also, you know, I, I was trying to, I was experimenting with using more than two turntables. You know, as mixers developed, I was trying to, to use that technology as well. And so I, was, I eventually got interested in how can I pull other mediums in? Because what I was trying to do when I was DJing with two, three, four turntables or other devices, tape players, um, CD players came out, you know, I was trying to mix all these sound sources to create one thing. Mm -hmm. And so as I started looking at other media, I started getting really interested in how can I mix other types of media, projection, lights, and create one thing from that. Mm -hmm. Create one instrument out of that. In the same way that I took two turntables and a mixer and made that into one instrument. Yeah. And so that's been my quest of late. And, and what I've been doing with the Alvin Hill Media Ensemble, I perform live with sound, light, and projection, manipulating that in real time and improvising with other acoustic musicians the way a jazz ensemble might approach it. Mm -hmm. actually, actually, both of the musicians that I mainly work with are jazz musicians. And are they, are they, are you the main person in manipulating the um, lights and projection or do they have any role in that or are they playing just acoustically or how does, what's that relationship between the three of you as you're in performance? So I have control of the, of my sound, mm -hmm. the light and the projection, but as, you know, when when jazz musicians are playing together. And this, this comes from, you know, my statements on this come from my own ideas. They come from my knowledge of the genre as a consumer and as a DJ playing it. Mm -hmm. It also comes from, you know, my wife is a, is a jazz musician. She's a trumpet player. Come from the knowledge of her playing. And it also comes from my knowledge of playing with jazz musicians. But so just as when jazz musicians play together, they are sort of, there's sort of this give and take with their fellow musicians where they may play something and another one of the musicians may pick up on that and riff off of that or play off of that. Or there may be this sort of call and response thing that's going on. They're giving openings to the other musicians to respond. Right. Just as they do that, I have ways of doing that. So 
it may not just be that I'm giving them that opportunity by what I play, but I may also be able to, and I do, give them the opportunity to interact with what I do by opening a sensor to them where when they play something, an audio sensor may pick that up and there may be a reaction in my instrument. Oh, I see. Or I may open up a motion tracking sensor that would allow them to interact with what I'm doing. I don't do that all the time. Sure. I do that in the moment, give them those opportunities, just as a group of acoustic musicians may be giving their fellow players an opportunity to interact with what they're doing. Yeah. When you're going into performance with your ensemble, how much structure is around what you're doing? Is, is there tight parameters? Is it more an open situation? How are you working together? In some ways, the structure is most, much more closely related to a DJ set in that I know that I want to take the audience on a journey throughout the performance. And I know that I've brought with me X number of songs. Not as many as I might have brought when I was, <laughs> was DJing, where I had you know, thousands or a thousand songs. But I do know that I want to take them on a journey. I do know that this is, these are the set group of songs that I want to use. And you know, the, the musicians I work with are also aware of that. But how we move through that develops in the moment. So when your uh, ensemble is playing together, mm -hmm. um, is the, and you're moving from song to song, are the players aware of each song and does each song have a certain set of parameters for everyone or are they kind of responding to you in the same way that you're responding to the moment? I did not recognize this as much as I do now. Um, before Ingrid, my, my wife and I got together, um, but there are a great deal of physical and, and audio cues that jazz musicians use to signal when they're doing things. <laughs> um, and so we use some cues as well. Like, you know, there, there are certain audio cues that I'll use to signal um, my fellow players that, okay, we're going we're gonna to move. Right. Or we're going to wrap this section up. Um, Sometimes those cues are also visual, you know, because I have light and, and projection at my disposal, I can throw a cue with a light. Um, so, you know, we use, we use some cues, um, but to a great extent, it's just like jazz musicians would do or hmm. any improvisational musicians or artists would use you have to pay attention. Right. You know, you have to, you have to, you are, you're working with one another as well as being in the moment and letting the moment carry you. You also have to be aware of where that moment is carrying your, your, your fellow artists. One of the things that, um, when I was reading the description of your ensemble, 
it says uh, in the description that, that you know the ensemble transforms musical structures and systems into the visual realm. I guess mm-hmm. kind of as a last question, because we're kind of running up here against time, is yeah. could, could you talk about that? Like, what does that mean for you and how does that process work to, to accomplish that? Let me, let me preface that by saying that this has been a tremendous experiment for me, mm-hmm. this ensemble. Yeah. It's, it's really uh, an exploration. Um, I love exploring and that's what I do with this ensemble. Um, so we're still exploring that. We're still exploring what that actually means. But it's we have talked about what it means, you know, to much the same way that there are musical gestures or phrases. What does it mean for me in the visual realm to create a phrase? Or a gesture, you know, that could be that could be a certain sequence of lights, you know, just as there might be a melody, do 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 do, you know, there might be green, red, blue, yellow, yellow, <laughs> you know, right. th- you know, it could, or it could be light intensity, it could be dim, dim, bright, dim, bright, bright. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be a, a gesture or a phrase. So it's, you know, and the same can manifest in the projection as well. You know, uh, one of the early gestures I used in projection was this circle that it almost was like a uh, started small, got really large, came back in being really small and disappearing. And so, you know, it's exploring, it's exploring gestures and phrases like that and how they can translate from the audio realm to the visual realm and back again. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it, okay. I think it, it totally does. It's really, it's really interesting. I love this idea of um, that you have this ensemble and that within the con- kind of within the structure, within performance of the ensemble, that all these elements are under control of the people on stage. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not that there's a lighting designer who may be very interactive and may be very responsive to what's going on, but often the lighting designer is like, you know, sitting in a booth somewhere far away. Um, or And not necessarily improvising in real time yeah yeah that's right that that really the the lighting and the the projection is really um integrated into the music or you i mean certainly we've all seen electronic musicians or djs who have video projection going behind them but most of the time that's just preset video that's playing it's not being manipulated live right or if it is being manipulated live there isn't that connection i mean there's there, there isn't that give and take uh-huh. between the VJ and the DJ. Right. You know, the, the VJ may be listening to the DJ, DJ's music and making choices based on that. Sure. But it, that's sort of a one-way yeah. street. And, and my goal has been to make that, you know, a two-way street. Right. The essence of uh, improvisation, I guess you right. could say. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 
Well, thank you, Alvin, for this conversation. I mean, we didn't even get to talk about the fact that we have collaborated together in a number of ways <laughs> and, and how that kind of um, has worked. And maybe we'll have to have another conversation about that. Um, That'd be great. But I want to, again, thank you for taking the time to join me on this and to talk about your work. It was really great. I mean, I've known you for uh, a number of years now, but yeah. um, this was still really enlightening to how you think about these things. So I appreciate that a lot. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. All right, Alvin. Well, you take care and um, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alvin. Again, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Alvin out in the world and on the web. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to all these five episodes. Um, it's been a real pleasure of mine to kind of dig in and, and give this a shot. Each artist, um, Stephen, Sharon, Mark, Fern, and Alvin, all had such wonderfully unique perspectives on improvisation. And yet there seemed to be a couple of themes which arose, this idea around constraints, as well as how experience is vital in developing those improvisational chops, as it were. Uh, please let me know what you thought about the first season of Act React. What did you dig? What could be improved? Should I do more episodes? Uh, and also, any suggestions on guests, future guests? If I do a second season, who would you like me to talk to? Uh, you can find my email in the show notes uh, and just email me any thoughts you have. All right. Well, thanks again for listening and until next time.